Well, I'd like to start off with a few verses tonight that we'll use more as a, an introduction to the topic. So starting in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And then John chapter 14, very familiar verse here, John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, that is to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray once more. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this time together to hear from it. And we pray for your help, for wisdom, insight, for the receiving of truth in the inner man, and for the ability and the desire to want to do all that you ask, are asking us to do in these days. Just pray for grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you drive down to Columbia on Highway 63, there's a large billboard, or at least there was, I don't know if it's still there, I assume it is, but there's a large billboard that I'm sure many of you have seen before. In big, bold letters, it says, Jesus is the answer. Have never seen that billboard before going down to Columbia? Jesus is the answer. If you haven't seen that billboard, you might have seen smaller signs in people's yards around town from time to time that have the same phrase on them. Occasionally, you'll see it on a bumper sticker. Now, at first glance, it's pretty hard to argue with that sign. After all, the Bible itself presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the answer to mankind's deepest needs. As we just read here in John 1, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Men are without life, and He is that life. Men are in darkness, and He is the light that shines into the darkness. Or as Jesus Himself said it in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Men need direction, and He is the way. Men need truth, and He is the truth. Men need life, and He is the life. He is the answer to all the needs of fallen men and women. <clears throat> the billboard is right. Jesus is the answer. It's pretty hard to argue with that. And yet, every time that I've driven past that billboard, I've gotten an un uneasy feeling about it. And every time I see one of those signs in someone's yard, I immediately want to ask a follow-up question. Yes, Jesus is the answer, but what is the problem? You see, we live in an age ruled by propaganda, slogans, one-liners, and pious platitudes all of the time coming at us. Have it your way. Eat fresh. A diamond is forever. 
I'm loving it. Just do it. Every kiss begins with K. You can't top the copper top. Right? These slogans coming at us all of the time, we're inundated with this stuff. So when a religious slogan gets thrown at us, we have a tendency to not think about it as critically as we should. Jesus is the answer. Yeah, that's right. He is the answer. And on I drive down the road. But here's the issue. Let's say I gathered together a Catholic, a Baptist, a Mormon, a Christian scientist, and a Jehovah's Witness all in the same room. Now, that's a pretty diverse group. Now, if I walked into that room and shouted, Jesus is the answer, do you know what every single one of those folks would say? They would say, yes, absolutely right, he is the answer. Do you see the problem? If a Catholic, a Baptist, a Mormon, a Christian scientist, and a Jehovah's Witness all can say amen to that statement, something is wrong with the statement. It's a meaningless phrase. It's nothing more than a pious platitude that sounds good at first, but upon closer inspection turns out to be as shallow as a frog pond to quote Bob Jennings. <laughs> so when we hear the phrase, Jesus is the answer, the thing that ought to come into our minds is, yes, but what is the problem? What is the problem? Simply saying Jesus is the answer isn't worth much if you don't first correctly understand what the problem is. In fact, if you don't rightly understand the problem, then there's no way your solution to the problem is going to be right either. You follow me? An accurate diagnosis must precede an accurate treatment. That's true when you're dealing with physical ailments, and that's true when you're dealing with spiritual ailments. So this is what I want us to think about briefly here tonight. We say that Jesus is the answer to humanity's problem. Great. I agree. But what exactly is that problem? What is the problem that Jesus is the answer to? And as a side note here, for young people here, you really need to hear this because when you go out into the community and when you go out into your schools, you will hear people talking about Jesus. And you will be tempted to think that just because they're talking about Jesus, they must be Christians. And that is not necessarily true. They might be Christians, but they also might just be lost religious people who think Jesus is a swell guy and who have no clue about what his life, death, and resurrection are even about. The question is not, do they talk about Jesus? The question is, what do they say about him? What do they understand about his life, death, and resurrection? They say Jesus is the answer, but what do they say the problem is that Jesus is the answer to? That is what matters. And that's what I want us to consider here tonight. And I hope that by doing so, we'll have our own thinking sharpened on this. I'm not here to throw stones at anybody. I'm here for us 
to have our own thinking sharpened on this issue. And the first thing we need to realize is that there are a lot of wrong avenues that a person can go down when trying to answer the question of what is humanity's problem. What are some of these wrong avenues? Well, there are some people who say that the problem with humanity is the unequal distribution of wealth. The rich have too much money, the poor don't have enough money, and it causes conflict, right? So what we need to do is take from the rich, give to the poor, and everyone will have the same amount. And of course, that's one of the big principles of what's called socialism. And it was popularized by Karl Marx in the saying, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. In other words, everyone gives what they're able to give, Everyone takes what they need, and no one has more than anyone else, but everyone has just enough, right? From each according to his ability to each according to his need. You see, we need to get rid of this distinction between rich and poor. After all, didn't Jesus say, blessed are the poor? He did. Didn't Jesus talk about how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. Jesus was a socialist, see? And there are people who say that. Christian socialism. From each according to his ability, unto each according to his need is the answer. And that philosophy in itself actually doesn't sound too bad in theory. But what happens when this guy doesn't really feel like giving as much as he's able to give? And what happens when this guy decides to take a little bit more than what he really needs, you see? At the end of the day, you end up with conflict anyway. Why? Because the hearts of men are greedy and selfish. Mankind needs something more than a socialist Jesus because having an unequal distribution of wealth is not the ultimate problem of mankind doesn't get down to the root issue. Other people say that mankind's problem is a lack of education. You know, there are some places in the world that are so backwards and uneducated that people don't even have the tools necessary to improve themselves. So what we need are more schools around the world with better teachers. And when everyone is properly educated, there will be peace and stability. There will be no more conflicts and wars. Heaven on earth. Education is the answer. Yes, and try telling that to the Jews at Auschwitz who were often killed or permanently disfigured because they were experimented on by some of the most brilliant and highly educated men in the world at that time. Yes, education is good. I'm a teacher, right? There's no virtue in ignorance. But education alone does not solve mankind's deepest problem. And the Holocaust is abundant testimony to that fact. Others say that mankind's problem is bad government. We need a better, more pure form of government with perfectly just laws and righteous leaders. Then we would have utopia. 
But think about this. Who had the best and most pure form of government ever in the history of the world? The Israelites did, right? You can't get more perfectly just laws than those handed down by God himself. And yet, that perfect government did not keep the people of Israel from going off into rebellion and apostasy and committing acts of evil just as wicked as any pagan nation around them. Lastly, some people say that humanity just needs a good example to follow. Yes, people are messed up, but if we could just have someone live out before us a life of perfect righteousness and love, then we would know how to act. And we would follow that example, and everyone would live happily ever after. Well, apparently the Romans and Jews of the first century didn't get that message. Because when Jesus lived out before them a life of perfect righteousness and love, they crucified him for it. Beloved, people don't want a good example. They don't. Because all that good example does is reveal how bad people really are. And they hate it. John 3.19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. I need a good example. The only thing they do with good examples is crucify them. Well, those are some wrong avenues when it comes to answering the question of humanity's deepest problem. So what is the answer? What is humanity's problem? Anyone. Sin. Sin, right? Now we're getting somewhere. The problem of mankind is sin. Romans 3, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Not even one. That is the Bible's assessment of mankind. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People are sinners with a criminal record in the eyes of God's law. But it's worse than that, isn't it? Because sin is not just something that we do out here that gets added to our criminal record. Sin is something that we are. It's something that comes from within us. Jesus said it this way in Mark 7, That which proceeds out of the man... That is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of those things. Jesus says all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So not only do we have a criminal record in the eyes of God's law, but we also have a bad heart inside of us that is a factory of sin. Our sinful actions condemn us before God, and our corrupt heart condemns us before God. But let's take this a step further. And this is where I hope our thinking can be sharpened a bit, because in reality... Our problem is even worse than this. In fact, we could even say that the final answer that we gave to the question of humanity's problem is not totally accurate. And here's what I mean. We said that mankind's problem is sin. 
which is true. But that begs the question, what makes sin so bad? What's the big deal about sin? Yes, sin corrupts us on the inside. Yes, sin makes us guilty before God, like a criminal before a judge. But so what? Big deal. Why should we care? And the answer is because God is holy and just and he hates sin. Why should we care about sin? Because sin calls forth the wrath of God. That's why. What is humanity's ultimate problem? God. I've always thought that would make a good track for campus. God is the problem. I think that would get people's attention. Humanity's ultimate problem, mankind's biggest problem, is God. See how we need to have our minds sharpened on this? The wrath of a perfectly just God against sin. That is the problem of mankind. Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. And those two go hand in hand. He could not be a righteous judge if he did not have indignation every day. Can you imagine a God who could look down on this messed up world and just say, oh, boys will be boys, right? If he did not have indignation every day when he looked down on this messed up world, he would not be a righteous God worth having. Psalm 5, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. John 3:36. he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Romans 1:18. for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, humanity's problem is sin, yes, but it's even deeper than that. Humanity's ultimate problem is God and the wrath of God against that sin. And no amount of wealth distribution, no amount of education, no amount of good government, or no amount of a righteous example to follow is going to solve that problem. But let's bring this full circle here as we close. Because even though humanity's ultimate problem is God, at the same time, humanity's only hope is God. And this is good news. Why is humanity's only hope God? Because only God himself can provide the answer to mankind's sin problem. Only God himself can satisfy his own wrath. 
Only God himself can provide the answer, and that answer is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God so loved the objects of his wrath that he gave his only begotten Son. She will bear a son, the Gospels say, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their unequal wealth, from their lack of education, No, from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. We have a criminal record before God because of our sins. So Jesus bears those sins and dies the death of a condemned criminal in our place. Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We have a corrupt heart that is a factory of sin. So Jesus takes out that heart and gives us a new heart that loves God and wants to be pleasing to God. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And worst of all, the wrath of God burns against us because of our sin. And Jesus absorbed that wrath in our place, completely satisfying the justice of God against us. He absorbed the wrath. He didn't deflect it, you see. He didn't deflect the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God. Isaiah 53.10, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins. So, is Jesus the answer? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely he's the answer. He's the only answer. But that statement only has meaning to the degree that you rightly understand the problem. And the problem is our sin, and even more so, the wrath of God against that sin. But Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who lived, died, and rose again on behalf of anyone who would repent, turn away from their sin, and trust in Him. As the hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And that's worth putting on a billboard. Well, let's pray. Father, we marvel all over again 
that you would so love the objects of your wrath that you would send your son into the world as a sacrifice, as a propitiation, as the lamb who was slain. Oh, Father, we just thank you tonight for this good news, for this great news. We thank you that there is an answer. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, that has not yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would see that there is no other way, there is no other hope, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father apart from him. Father, we bless you tonight for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.